What we're starting this week is uh, the kickoff of a new series called Bad Boys of the Bible. And um, you might be thinking, oh, so you guys are going to like look at people like the devil and, uh, and maybe the enemies of Jesus and, and you know, the Roman soldiers who hung him on the cross. No, we're, we're not looking at those bad boys. We're not looking at, at pure evil. We're actually looking at some people that you've heard of and you may be very familiar with. Names like Adam, Abraham, Moses, Solomon, Peter, and Paul. And I don't know about you, but often when I hear those names, what comes to my mind first and foremost is these larger-than-life people, these figures from biblical history that just, they're up on this super high pedestal and, and they're like spiritual giants. And there's no way that I could possibly ever, you know, be as strong or as courageous or as faithful or have as much character as those guys. So what I want to do with this series is, um, is kind of the central thesis for this whole series is that these were incredible men of faith, no doubt. But they actually had plenty of weaknesses and plenty of flaws, and in many ways were just average, ordinary people just like you and me. So today, we're going to look at Abraham and his life. Abraham was a man of tremendous faith. God told him to go into this land, and he just went for it. And uh, he did some incredible stuff. He had some great moments of faith, but There's more to Abraham than just his greatness. There were times when he really struggled. And so what we're going to do this morning, or this morning, this evening, um, is uh, we're going to look at Abraham starting in Genesis chapter 22. So if you brought your Bible or you have the app on your phone, if you want to go ahead and uh, turn it to Genesis chapter 22, this is actually one of the more difficult stories in the entire Bible. We're going to look at Abraham's life and kind of work backward from there. So before we do that, If you guys would join me, let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for allowing us to meet here this evening. And um, God, we just are all here to meet with you, to learn more about who you are and what that means for our lives. Uh, Help each of us, no matter where we are in our journey, to just glean something from this message about you. And I just pray every word of my mouth would be pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're going to start out in Genesis 22, right from the top, and uh, we'll explain it as we go in, but we're just going to dive right in. It's also on the back of your bulletin outline there, too. It says, starts out this way, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, um, this is definitely sometime later. Abraham is well over 100 years old at this point in the story, and God has a test for him. What God says is, he said, God, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Morah. Now, important tidbit of information, Abraham actually has two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. But his other son, Ishmael, at this point in the story, has gone away, okay? So for all intents and purposes, Isaac is really left with one son. And so God issues these words, and to me, they're some of the most chilling words that you read in all of the Bible because they are spoken by Almighty God. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Morah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. So God asks Abraham to take his only son and sacrifice him, to kill him as an offering of praise. 
Now, it doesn't matter to me how many times I've read this story and how much you know, research I've done. This always messes with me. You have to understand, this always messes with me. And it doesn't matter to me that much. It, it, it doesn't kind of resolve the tension for me. The fact that Bible commentators and scholars, what they'll say is, well, you've got to understand, you know, many thousands of years ago, what was happening in that region, in the area of Canaan. You see, what was happening was there was all this worship of these different gods, and there was this fertility god named El. And so it was common practice for the people of this region of Canaan to to make sacrifices to this fertility god, El. El is is the name of that god. And um, so they would would sacrifice the first part of of their harvest of crops. They would sacrifice some of their livestock, and they would even sacrifice their children as a way of just, hey, thank you for allowing us to, for the soil to be fertile, for our animals to be fertile, and for us as human beings to be able to reproduce. So commentators will say that. You know, this was really common. This was happening all over. You have to understand the cultural setting and the context. Like, it wouldn't have freaked him out like it it freaks us out today. I hear that. It's It's still crazy to me to think that, the God of heaven and earth, the God who loves us so much, would actually turn to Abraham and would tell him that he should sacrifice his son Isaac as an offering to him. I just don't get it. That's a total disconnect for me in the Bible. But there's no disconnect for Abraham because it says, the very next verse, early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. What's fascinating to me about this is it says early the next morning he goes out. It doesn't say that there was this knockdown, drag out, back and forth argument between Abraham and God. It didn't say, you know, three weeks later, Abraham went. Early that very next morning, Abraham goes. No waiting, no arguing, no pleading. He just goes. It's like something in Abraham is just switched on and he is just, he's, he's, he's there, he's going. Let's keep reading. It says, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. So basically he gave, he handed the wood to Isaac. And then he himself carried the fire and the knife. Would love to know what it looked like kind of for him carrying that fire. But anyway, that's just my own private obsession there. Um, so they, they walked up. It says, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham. Father? Yes, my son? Abraham replied. And it's here. I just cannot imagine um, as a father hearing my son say these words. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I wouldn't have been able to keep it together in that moment. Somehow Abraham responds and he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now either he's completely avoiding this question, which is kind of my hunch, or, um, or he's saying something tremendously faithful and profound that God is going to provide. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to picture this scene in your mind. Um, Many artists and different folks have actually tried to recreate this scene. Um, This is, if we can show the one, this is Rembrandt um, displaying the Abraham sacrifice of Isaac scene. Um, So I don't know, you know, kind of what image comes into your mind as you actually try and picture this thing going down, but it's pretty crazy. Um, There's a, if we could put that other image up there. So here's a much more kind of real modern day. I mean, just kind of let this mess with you for a second. This is crazy. This is crazy, crazy stuff. He raises up the knife to slay his son because God has told him to do this. Is anybody else just like, what in the world is happening right now? It just doesn't make sense to me. This scene, total disconnect for me. Even with what comes next, it doesn't make sense. And I'm going to come back to it in just a second. So let's look at these next verses. So he's raised up the knife to slay his son. And the very next verse says, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So Abraham goes in total obedience to God, raises up that knife to slay his son, and God in the very last moment stops him. He intervenes, okay? And so For many of us, we breathe this collective sigh of relief. Okay, you know, God was never going to do this in the first place. You know, this was was just a test. And so we kind of feel this this sense of relief. It relieves some of the tension. But here's the thing. It doesn't relieve all the tension in this story. Because what I'm left wondering is, so how did this impact Isaac later on? You, You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't exactly know how old Isaac was, but like, what did that do to the relationship between father and son? I mean, can you imagine a conversation years later, you know, where they're kind of taking a hike somewhere together, and, and, and Isaac's like, hey, Dad, remember that one time when we, we went on that trip, and it was so much fun, and, you know, and, and we went, I got to rode on the donkey for the first time, and, you know, we went up that hillside, and then you put me on that wood, and then you raised up the nut, and you tried to kill me? <laughs> Wasn't that great? I mean, you know, it just, how did that, how does that all kind of work out? So the question that kind of runs through my mind is, so what was going on? How did that impact their relationship? And then backing up more, so why did God ask Abraham to do this? And what in the heck possessed Abraham to so willingly just go through with it? It's actually fascinating that he is so willing to obey God. If you look back on his life and what has happened before that, it's amazing that he does this because the stakes have never been higher. And yet, if you look back, Abraham's track record in terms of obeying God and when God's saying anything, it's, it's spotty at best, okay? So what I, what I want us to do is um, I got kind of a visual thing that, that Ryan, our worship leader, uh, helped to put together. And, um, you know, 
I'm originally a finance and accounting guy. I started out in business, and so you know, I, I just thought, how can we make this kind of you know more kind of more visually depicting? And so, um, what I realized is that Abraham's life is kind of like the stock market of recent days. You know, it's like it just you just don't know. It's any day. It's just totally volatile. Okay, so I've got a little graph here. We're gonna we're gonna quickly rewind because Abraham's story in Genesis he gets about a quarter of Genesis from from Genesis 12 all the way to 25. Okay, we're in chapter 22. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 12. So Abraham actually starts out pretty well. Now at the time. Um, his name was Abram, okay? God changes his name later, so don't let that mess you up, okay? Abram, Abraham, same person, okay? So God says to to Abram at the time, I'm just going to call him Abraham, he says to Abraham, just go, go to this land I'm going to show you, okay? And if we can hit that slide, we're going to start our little stock market graph here. It says in Genesis 12, 4, God says to go, it says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So he starts out on an uptick, okay? He gets going into the land, and um, there we go. Look at that. Um, he gets going into the land, and uh, he, he comes to the Egyptian king Pharaoh he's, he's, as he's traveling along the way. And what he realizes is if, he, if, if Pharaoh's going to see his wife, and then his wife was pretty attractive, and so basically he's like, well, shoot, Pharaoh's going to kill me uh, and take her to, uh, into, into his household. And so he, he says to um, Sarah, these words, Genesis 12, 13. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well. So God has told him to go. God has promised him. He's assured him. And when it's a rock and a hard place, Abraham goes, I'm going to go with plan B. God, I'm going to give you a little help on this one. So we got a little down tick on our graph. All right. So then in Genesis chapter 13, uh, Abraham kind of redeems himself a little bit. So he's actually traveling through the, uh, through the region with his nephew Lot. And they actually both have accumulated quite a bit of wealth and possessions and livestock. And the land is actually getting too big for the both of them. And so um, Abraham actually, in a moment of faith and just trusting that God's going to provide, he says to Lot, you know what? And you'll see the words up here as we go to the next one. He says, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left, Lot. So Abraham just has this moment of, of faith and trust that God is going to take care of him. Then he has another uptick, Genesis 15, 6. Um, God basically says to Abraham, he says, look, I want you to go outside. You might have remembered this verse. I want you to go outside, and I want you to look up all the stars in the sky, which are too numerous to count. He says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. I'm going to make you this incredible nation. I'm going to bless your socks off. It says in Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So another uptick in the graph. The very next verse, Genesis 15, 7, God says to Abraham, he says, okay, now I've got this amazing land and I'm going to give it to you. The verse immediately after that, Genesis 15, 8, look at what Abraham says. He says, the sovereign Lord how can I know that I will take possession of it? So he had just peaked. I mean, he was like, he believed. It was credited to him as righteousness. And then boom, he's like, the land, but how am I going to know? I mean, how is this going to work? Okay, so he's, he's doubting, he's questioning. It gets worse from here. Um, 
this is this is definitely the moment that actually John was alluding to in the in the announcement time. So um, Abraham and Sarah are sitting around going, "Okay, well, God said that He's going to bless us, and we've never been able to have kids, but God says that we're going to have a child." And so they they concoct this idea that um, Abraham actually it's Sarah who proposes it, and so she says, "Why don't you sleep with my uh, young maidservant Hagar?" And Abraham, being kind of a classic guy, is like, "Okay." doesn't sound so bad. doesn't say he put up much of a fight. Um, so it says in Genesis 16, 4, he slept with Hagar. So again, just trying to help God out a little bit. You know, God, you said you're going to do this, and we just thought maybe we could, we could help to speed things along a little bit. So, and that led to all kinds of problems, all, tremendous problems in, uh, in his life. Then we go to Genesis uh, 17, 7. 17, 17. Um, again, just Abraham has been told once again, he's been promised by God that, um, that he's going to have a son. And it's actually going to come through his wife, Sarah. And so he and Sarah are sitting around and they just, I mean, they can't believe it. They're, they're actually laughing about it. And like, oh, and you can, you can see the words there, Genesis 17, 17. He says, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? This is crazy. And to a wife who is 90 years old? So again, just, just a moment of just how, how in the world is this going to happen? Fast forward to Genesis 17, 23. Uh, Abraham makes one last little uptick in his life here. Actually, it shouldn't, it's not really little because it involves circumcision. So I guess that, that kind of gets you double points. Um, so uh, God, said, God says, okay, I'm establishing this covenant with you. Abraham. Yeah, Abraham's needing a lot of reassurance along the way if you haven't gotten that, that picture already. And so he comes along and he says, I'm going to make this covenant with you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be this great nation. You're going to be the father of all these descendants. He says, and so as a sign of this covenant, I want you to circumcise every male in your household and to be circumcised yourself. And check it out. Genesis 17, 23. It says on that very day, Abraham circumcised them as God had told him. He himself was also circumcised. But then, after that, we go to Genesis chapter 20, and um, Abraham is in a different region now, and he comes across another foreign king, and he realizes, man, the same thing's going to happen again. And so he again decides that his plan is probably better than God's plan, even though God has assured him that he's going to bless him and he's going to take care of him. Um, It says, Genesis 22, Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. And God totally bails him out both times. But, but what you see in this graph, okay, if, you kinda, if, you, if we kind of step back and pan out from this graph a little bit, and we can kind of see the, um, the, the ebb and flow of this thing, Abraham is just up and down and up and down. He's so volatile. And you know, what resonates so deeply with me about Abraham is that any time that things don't make sense, for him, or he just doesn't see a way out or a way through, he's like, you know what? We're going to go with my plan. I know what God said, but I'm going to go a different way. And so even though God, all the way through the story, is making these promises time after time after time again, Abraham just, he just fails to trust and to fully obey God when he doesn't understand. I want you to take a look at this. Um, We... It just kind of visually, if we could put up the promises up here, um, you see 
all the way through this story, if you were to read Genesis 12, like through 25, you would see every single point along the way, every single point, God is there reassuring Abraham, once again saying, you know what, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make this happen. You know, and, and he protects him at one point in Genesis 12, 17. Um, it's just unbelievable. Every single time along the way, whether it's good or bad, God is saying, I'm here with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. I promise this is going to happen for you. But Abraham just doesn't get it. He hears all this, but he continues. I mean, it's it's kind of a little bit of a control freak. You know, any time that he doesn't fully have an understanding of how this is going to go, he goes with his own way. But then something happens in Genesis chapter 21. The chapter before where we started, Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 21, all of these promises that God has made, they start to take shape and they start to come to life in the form of who? Isaac. So in Genesis chapter 21, that is when Isaac is born. There's this unbelievable, it's miraculous. God comes along and says, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be through the two of you. What do you know? Isaac is born, okay? And, and that, that event changes things for Abraham. Because at that point, Abraham is no longer kind of this volatile, up and down, swinging person. At that point, it's like, it's like a light switch has clicked on. And now Abraham is now willing to do whatever, even if God were to say, I want you to take that son, Isaac, the one who I promised, the one who I'm gonna ha- you're going to have all these offspring through, right? I want you to take him. The, the Abraham, is, he's like, you know what? I- I've seen it. I believe it. He's totally dialed in. And he is basically like, let's go. You want me to sacrifice my son? God, I'm in. I totally trust you. At that point in the story, what Abraham realizes is a truth that's expressed in many places in the Bible. One of my favorite places it's expressed is in Romans 11.33, which says these words. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. You see, what happens to Abraham through this birth of his son Isaac is he just kind of comes to realize, and he has this revelation, God's ways are so much higher than our ways. And he just kind of steps back and goes, I'm not going to understand God. I'm just not, not going to understand. I just need to trust and obey. So then in Genesis chapter 22, when God comes along and says, Abraham, time to sacrifice your son, he's all in. And that's messed up to me. That's messed up to me. And I don't want to tell you something. This story, Genesis chapter 22, of Abraham with his son Isaac, the sacrifice story, that should mess you up. If someone tries to explain this away, in just some nice, easy sound bite. Oh, it was just this. It was just God trying to, it was just, you know, whatever. I, I say, no way. This should mess you up. This story doesn't make sense, okay? It doesn't. And I think that's the entire point of the story. Listen, if you're here, and maybe you're like me, you fall into this trap, because I certainly do, 
where I like to have God in this nice little box, right? Where I can have God all figured out. So if I do A, B, and C, God is going to do X, Y, and Z. God will not be reduced to a formula. And God will not fit in any box that any human being can possibly conceive of. What this story should bring us to is Romans 11.33. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. We have to come to a place as people of faith it's great to reason and try and work through things and come up with logical... I mean, we should do that, okay? But you're never going to get all the way there. Never. You have to come to a place where you say, God, I- I'm never going to fully understand you. I'm never going to fully get you. Now, I struggle mightily in this area, okay? Mightily in this area. When I have these things that don't make sense and I, I, I know I need to trust God, that is just so difficult for me. Um, my wife, Becky, when, when we were dating, she gave me a journal very early on in our relationship, and uh, which is a great manipulative tool if you ever want to kind of, you know, just plant different ideas and see, you know, you can do all kinds of good stuff with something like that. So anyway, but she gave me this journal and inside the, um, the inside cover was uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I had no idea at the time how much those words would really just kind of embody my journey, my spiritual journey. Um, They become like a life verse for me. This is how they read. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Guys, I really struggle to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I mean, I, I see Abraham's story, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not judging that guy because I would have been doing the exact same thing. I love plan B. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like God definitely needs a little help from time to time in my life because I just, I struggle to trust with all my heart, and I love to lean on my own understanding. That's just so vital for me. But you see, what the story is telling us is that God brought Abraham to a place where he was fully submitted, where he trusted with all of his heart, even when it didn't make sense. And God wants to do the exact same thing with you and the exact same thing with me. God ultimately wants to bring us to a place in our faith where we say, you know what, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this, but I have clearly heard from you. And it is clearly confirmed in your word. And so because you say so, I'm going to do it. So here's a question that I want to leave you with tonight before we go out and get some good food outside. What has God been telling you that you just don't understand? Or said another way, what is, has God been saying to you that actually maybe rubs you the wrong way? Or you flat out want to reject it, not even hear it, because you've got your own kind of idea of, of how that should go. Let me give you a couple of examples. 
Is there somebody in your life that you know that you need to forgive and they've never asked for your forgiveness and they've never warranted your forgiveness? Is there an enemy in your life that maybe you're called to love? If you're married, and you know we've just been through this whole smoking hot series, if you're married, what about that whole command that God gives us to just totally submit to and serve our spouse? And maybe you're sitting there wondering, man, you know, if I do that, I'm going to get walked all over. I mean, what about me and my needs? Or if you're single, that whole deal about premarital sex. I mean, that's got to mess with, that's just got to mess with you so bad. I got to tell you something. If you're here today and you feel like you're at a place in your faith where you kind of plateaued or maybe you've even stalled out a little bit and things have just gotten really routine and it's just, it's just kind of just about kind of coming to church and you just don't really have this sense of a dynamic, vibrant relationship with God going on. If you're at that place and you're really looking for a breakthrough, like you want to push through and you're like, man, I just, I want this to be like, like, you know, like my faith used to be. It used to be so good. Okay. I, I want you to sit and spend some time tonight thinking about this. What is God telling you that just you have this visceral reaction to? What is God saying to you that, that you just kind of want to dismiss because that just doesn't make sense? That just doesn't fit in with the culture. That doesn't fit in with your plans. What is it that God is saying to you that you're just like, I, I don't like that. I don't know. I don't understand. Think about that thing. Don't just dismiss that thing. Because let me tell you something. If you are able to get to a place where you can just say, okay, God, you know what? I'm at least going to be open to that idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to just trust that maybe you know better than I do and obey this thing. I, I can't tell you what that can do for your faith. You're looking for some sort of a breakthrough? That could be it. We're not going to fully understand God or God's ways, but I want to leave you with this final verse. God gives us the Bible, and he gives us his commands in there because he loves us and he wants the best for us. Psalm 119.35 says these words, Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Now, you might look at that and say, you know, a lot of those commands in the Bible, they, they don't seem to, to lead to delight. But I'm telling you, that's a promise. That is a promise. God's commands will ultimately lead us to delight, to peace, to joy, to fulfillment. It's not always going to make sense. But the message of this story, of Abraham's life, is that God wants to bring us to a place where we will trust and obey him, even if it doesn't fully make sense, and even if we don't fully understand. Let's pray. God, um, we thank you for challenges. We thank you for stories that mess with us. We thank you for blowing up our God boxes. We thank you for even the things that you say to us that we reject, that we don't like, that we don't understand. And I know, God, I have been there many, many times. 
I pray, God, for every single person in this room that you would at least keep us open to the possibility that what you're saying might be a little smarter than what's in our brain. That there's something that we need to do and just take it on faith. For those things that have been whispered to us through the years, as we've read, as we've participated in Bible studies, whatever, God, that we need to do, God, bring those back to our minds and give us the faith and the trust to follow you and to follow your voice and to follow your word even when we don't fully understand. God, that is so hard, so we need so much help. Um, We thank you, Jesus, that you give us that help. And Holy Spirit, that you're within us to empower us to do things that we don't fully uh, know we're capable of. We thank you so much for how you poke and you prod, even when it hurts a little bit. I pray you do some amazing things and you would give in this room, those who, who need a breakthrough, God, I pray you give them an incredible victory and a breakthrough. We just thank you for who you are, for being an awesome God that's so far beyond what we could understand. And we lift up all these prayers to you in Christ's name. Amen.